You've got it tuned in to the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder. This week, we go to the Northeast and get ready for Major League Soccer with Pablo D. Benedetto. He is the head performance coach, the New England Revolution 2. That's their second-tiered team. We're going to find out how he preps these players to get ready for the big show. In the meantime, I'm going to be back in the Boston area myself at the end of January 27th, 28th. I'll be at Physio X Physical Therapy Clinic in Needham, Massachusetts. And if you've been interested in understanding a little bit more about the use of foot wedges for better performance, whether it's from rehab all the way through to return to performance, these little babies have been some magical tools in my toolbox for some time. And I'm going to share how I use them with a whole bunch of people there. You can find out more information at RockySnyder.com. I'll be in the West Coast of Capitola, California at RFC the following week, February 3rd and 4th. So come on in, register, and in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. Click subscribe. Here we go. Okay, well, in the studio, I got Pablo Benedetto. He is with the New England Revolutions 2. I'll put the two next to it because there's so many strata of abilities and talent and coaching when it comes to professional sports, especially places like Major League Baseball and Major League Soccer. There's academies, and then there's second teams, first teams. There's A's, triple A's, and so on. Well, Pablo, first, welcome to Zealous, and give us a little bit of a background story about what you're doing with the Rev and how you got to be there. Well, first off, thank you. Uh, really grateful for this opportunity, and, and hopefully hopefully we get something out of this conversation and, and, and things go by uh, really well. Um, so for me, I guess my start, I, I started with the New England Revolution in, in April 2021. Uh, they were looking for the first performance coach with their academy. Um, and I was connected to uh, James Collins, who was the first team performance coach at the time. And we sort of stayed in touch and I went through the interview process. Things went well and I was fortunate enough to, to get that opportunity. So again, I joined the Revs Academy uh, in April 2021, um, did a little bit of time there and then in July of the next year, I was fortunate enough to be to be considered for the role for the second team and um, was then given that opportunity. And I've been there since. So right where, you know, at the time of this conversation, I'm sort of just gearing up now for preseason and and looking ahead after we had a, a pretty successful, uh, enjoyable season last year. So um, that's sort of where things are at the moment. Yeah. Now, preseason for the second team is roughly the same mid-February as the first team or what? Uh, it's a week after, so our, our in week after the first team, so we'll kick off uh, January 20th will be our start day. Um, and then we will head to Florida on February 6th, I believe, and be there until the 18th. So the first team will be there before us, and then we'll join up, and um, we'll have some time in the warm weather, which will be nice because, uh, as you know, the, the cold weather here can sometimes be be a pain, but it should be good. Yeah. Now, in terms of the roster for the second team compared to the first team, same number of players, more or less? What are we talking? Uh, it always fluctuates. Um, that's the thing with the second team, right? There's a lot more, I would say, inconsistency, but not in, not in that. I don't want to use that word in like a negative way. So it's a mix. You have signed players from a second team. You have the academy players that move up to the second team. Uh, and then sometimes you have first team players that come down, uh, whether they need minutes or returning from an injury. So uh, I think it's overall a smaller squad than the first team, um, but that number kind of fluctuates. I mean, we also then fortunately have guys that get called in for international duty or move up. And then 
Um, you know, you, you have a smaller roster come match day than you had all training or some days you have too many players that you didn't account for. So um, it definitely fluctuates probably like 16 players to, I don't know, low, low 20s. Oh, all right. And when we're talking about the tiers of performance and competition, you've got first team, second team, and then how does it trickle down under there? So after second team, we have uh, the academy system. So when I, the oldest age group was the U19s, then it went to the U17s, U15s, and U14s. And then now the academy is a little bit different. I believe they're changing up the age groups for the upcoming season um, or for next year, where I think it goes U18, U16. We currently have a U13 team as well. Um, so that's sort of the, the division there within the academy. And... When it comes to your day-to-day -day duties, what are we what are we talking about? What does it look like? Yeah, so um, I think that that term performance coach is pretty broad within a second team environment. You are uh, a Swiss Army knife. You can do a little bit of everything, which which I think is is good from a learning standpoint. Um, you get to you know put my hand in different in different buckets or in, in different pots. And so on a day-to-day, -day, it's it's come in. It's first off have a relationship with the coaching staff. Uh, that I think after the last season, I realized was just, it's the most important thing. It's the per performance side can't be like separate. I always say that you have to, our context in the, in the performance world has to touch what the coach's ideas are. Um, and then we take their ideas and how they work and move it into our context. So for me, my day-to-day -day is first, that is just having that relationship with the coaches. And then um, we talk about training. Uh, coach obviously has an idea. I come in, I plan a warm up for the day. Depend on the day, I'll have either gym or no gym. Um, that also depends on, you know, how many days away we are from the match or post the previous match. Uh, so we'll, the way we flow is we'll go gym in the morning before training, train, I'll do the warm-up. If, if there are injuries, I work specifically with the players in their end-stage rehab return to play, which will be off to the side. Uh, then post-training, I collect the GPS um, catapult uh, monitors, the devices that we have, and then I'll go back and, and – put together a GPS report that I'll share with the coaches, sort of just relaying, you know, what happened on the day, give them feedback from a data standpoint of, you know, what was accomplished and then sort of see if that impacts us at all and, and guides us in, in what we hope to achieve the next day. Um, so that's pretty much like a, a daily thing. Okay. I want to ask you questions first about the warm up because you gave me a whole bunch of things to start thinking about here with just your daily regimen. Yeah, I was a soccer coach for 12 years with youth soccer, obviously. And then, you know, you got to get a licensing with your coaching these days through FIFA USA. And uh, and with that, there was some good structure. But when I think about the early days, when it came to warm up, it was just a trickle down effect as to whatever the coach thought warm up should be. But mm. I, I also see an evolution in warm up when I watch warm ups. On, on the side of the pitch before, say, um, a Quakes game, because that's the team out here, but uh, it they all relatively look the same. What what is in your what is in your regimen when it comes to the warm up? What are you looking to? Uh, yeah, what are you looking to achieve other than the obvious? I want to warm these players up, but how do you go about doing that? Yeah, for sure. I think first off, for me, actually starts in the gym. So. Um... I can use a, an example. Let's say we have a day where there's a, it's going to be a smaller sided session, so tighter spaces. And uh, I know there's going to be a lot more change of direction. Let's say that's, I know that that's going to happen or more likely that's going to happen. 
start in the gym. Maybe there's more plyo, there's more frontal plane work, there's more mobility. Uh, and I use the gym as a way, not only as a lift, but honestly more so as a activation. So then the players after that, they head down, uh, we walk to the pitch. Um, and I think the first five minutes of my warm-up is very similar. It's kind of your basic, right? Like your jogs, you're open the gates, close the gate, what you see kind of standardized. But then I know what we're going to do on the day. So I try to incorporate a ball or some sort of race or some sort of activity to get the guys not only physically ready, but cognitively, cognitively ready as well. Um, so let's say it is that small sided day. There may be some smaller work where the players are already going to shadowing 1v1, uh, attacking, defending. They're getting touches on the ball. And that may be eight minutes into the session. Um, because at the end of the day, our players are players, right? They, they want to play. They want to be with the ball. So um, then I may end with some sort of race. Maybe it's a hard change of direction. There's a competition. I also, from an emotional standpoint, want the guys competing, but maybe laughing, getting after each other uh, in obviously a, a fun way. Um, so that's sort of my basic structure. It's, it's, the, it's the gym before. It's first off, know the session. The gym before. The beginning is always the same, sort of. Uh, and then mix in a ball activity based off what we're going to do on the day. And then that will, that will change given weeks and, and time of the season and all that stuff. Where did you get that? Because that wasn't what I was expecting as the answer. And yeah. I, I don't mean to, this is may sound offensive, but you look like you're maybe 22 years old or something. And yeah. therefore, you're not expecting a tremendous amount of experience. But for what you just told me, I'm like, damn, that's good. Yeah. How did you, how did you come up with that? Um, for me, I, the way our, I was introduced to a, a training methodology, like a football training methodology, um, by my assistant coach that I work with, uh, known as uh, tactical periodization. And it made me view training and, and how we did things a bit differently and always trying to think of context and relating everything back to the game and the coach's ideas. And, and then, so I would get ideas, honestly, from, from the coaches that I work with from being connected to those types of sources where I would see what other professional teams were doing and, and then just trying to understand the culture of the sport, right? I think uh, footballers want to play and they want to be involved with the ball. And I feel like you don't need the, the rigid structure of, you know, you got to do your A skips and your high knees, maybe a little bit here and there, but right, let's get in with the ball. You know, let's, let's, let's have some fun because at the end of the day, that's what performance is for me. It's, it's, uh, it's the game. Um, so I learned that through, honestly, through just a lot of videos. I'm very passionate about the sport. So to your point, yes, I, I am on the younger side. And honestly, some of the players look and are, you know, built and they look much older than, than I do. So that's not a critique by any means of lack of experience. But um, it's just it's just keeping my my ear and my eye to those sort of things and then just trying to understand the game the best way possible. Yeah, I, honestly, it's so refreshing because uh, whether it's the NFL or MLS or, or any other teams for that matter, I just, I'll often get a peek of the warmups and half the time it's just this robotic action. There's no joy. There's just automation where they're doing, like you say, the ACE skips or the uh, butt kicks or uh, lunge and reach all these. And it's almost like they're, they're tuned out. They're not focused on what they're doing. They're just going through the motions. And for me, there's there's no mental preparation. There's there's barely any physical preparation. So that's really encouraging. I think that the if the listening audience could just hit the rewind button for a second and listen to what you just said, uh, it, it's gold. And I love it. So yeah. 
where where else do you get your insight and information? Because you've got some wisdom that may not necessarily be something that you would often find again with somebody that is kind of young in the, in the program, but you are, you're breaking some, you're breaking some pretty cool windows here. How do you do it? Yeah. So for me, again, it's, it's, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, really good mentors in, in my career so far and in my life in general, I think from the gym side, I know we spoke about this uh, prior to this, but, um, a big mentor of mine has been the ideas and, and the culture and, and everything that came from uh, Mike Bull's strength and conditioning. Um, so when, when it comes to building gym programs or, or working in that space, he's sort of been, he's been incredibly impactful for me. Uh, and then if I'm honest, it's just been, like I mentioned before, the coaching staff I work with and this, and this training methodology, and then um, just paying attention to what other people do and not that everything someone else does is great. I have to say, Hmm, can that relate to our context in our environment? Yes or no. Or I have this thing where as soon as I see something, it's like, all right, let me make two or three tweaks here. Let me try it out. I have the support to try things out. Things tend to go pretty well. If they don't, I get frustrated with myself, but that's a, that's a personal thing. And then, uh, and then go from there. So um, again, it's just, it's just those, it's just been those sources. So I've, I've just been really lucky to have good people around me. So I'm really thankful. And how long were you with, uh, Mike in Woburn? How long were you with Mike? Uh, so I started at Mike Bull as an athlete in high school on and off. And then throughout my entire four years of, of college. And then one of the summers I did the internship, I think it was summer of 2018. So it's been a little while now. Uh, then I graduated 2020, you know, COVID year. So didn't really graduate and, uh, and then tried to find some, uh, excuse me, find some time to go to the gym, to go to boils and just stay training in that environment. Um, so I've been there for, I guess, yeah, in and out since high school. And it's actually become a family affair. My father used to work out there. My sister still does. My mother does the early adult groups. So um, we've been there for, for a long time. It's been a big part of that, my life, to be honest. That's great. And was soccer your primary sport growing up? Yes, soccer was the only thing in in my household. If I'm honest, I think uh, so. My my father is Italian immigrant. My mother's from Santiago, Chile. Uh, so as you can imagine, that you know European Latin mix. You know, my father played soccer growing up his entire life. He played in Italy. He played here in, in the United States um, at the collegiate level. And then when he was overseas, it was I'm not quite sure how the structure works. It was definitely not anything uh, like first division anywhere. Not to knock him, but. Uh, he had some good teams here and there, but that was just the, that's just my, that was my household every day. My sister played, I played, it was just, that's all we did. So um, that's where that influence comes from. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. So you were also mentioning you, you collect all the GPS after the day is done from your athletes and then you plug it in and, and give a report. Like how long, did, first of all, how long does that take? How long does it take to get 16 to 20 athletes and their GPS reports or recordings and turned into a report. If I'm honest, it does when everything goes smoothly, it's really not that, uh, not doesn't take that long. I think the biggest pain for me is when I get the report and then one player comes to me cause he forgot to take it out of his vest. And then I got to restart the process and that. So honestly, it doesn't take too long. Um, also depends on the software as well. I'm fortunate that at, at the revolution we had, um, we had James who, who, who's there, Connor, and, and we had um, a guy who worked there, his name was Tim, and they put together all the software. So it was very much just download, plug in, and follow the instructions, and all the data would appear. So it's really not that long of a process to put a time to it if everything goes smoothly. Maybe I'll 
have the report printed out in like, let's say 15 minutes or so. Um, but, and when those days happen, it's my favorite. Cause it's like, Oh, that's just, that's just the best. So, yeah. And you're looking for match speed, um, sprint endurance, uh, distance traveled. What, what are the things that you're trying to get to put in the report? Yeah, some of the key indicators that we look at on a general report um, would be off the top of my head would be total distance. Obviously, I think a simple one, uh, high speed running and sprint distance, which are based off uh, speed thresholds set by um, by the GPS. Um, accelerations and decelerations is, is a big one. And then max speed uh, in the session. And then how does that relate to the percentage of, you know, what we believe is that individual's max speed? Um, on a match day, I also look at, um, it's called like session volume. So after the player has played in an X amount of minutes, we can have an average or an expected 100%. So if a player plays a full match, 90 minutes, and then does uh, 10K total distance, that percentage might be 100%. That means that they were, av that's what they average. Let's say I did 10K and the percentage is 120%. I did 20% more than what was expected. So I may know, hey, this guy may be a little more fatigued or maybe a little more this or, and it can go the reverse, right? I did 80%. Oh, well, why? Um, so those are some of the numbers that we look at, but we always make sure, and this is where the coaching staff has helped me was, probably these are the numbers, but how can we provide context to these numbers? Because just because someone did a lot of sprint and did 300% sprint, okay, well, he did that in two sprints that was at the 10th minute of the game and the 80th minute of the game. Not that he did it the whole time. So he may not be as fatigued, but the, so it's always important to try to relate that. And that's what I've tried to learn a lot more this past season. And I think I've done a much better job at that. Um, and that's been also with the help of the coaching staff. So, And so you get the report and you, before you pass it over to the coaching staff, you take a look at it and what are you extracting? What are you looking for in regards to now adopting changes in a conditioning program for whether it's the team as a whole or the individual athletes? Like, how do you utilize GPS for your position? Yeah, well, so so first, I think we I did put together some averages that that we had throughout the season and would say, listen, on that small-sided day, for example, that I was talking about earlier, where there may be more accelerations and decelerations, I, I had eventually developed, just put together the averages of positionally what we would see and overall what we would see. So I would see, let's say, after that training session, what the report was, and let's say every single player had was way above the average, let's say 20% above the normal average. I can then say, okay, hey, coaches, like this was the, maybe we did a little too much, but then I have to say, okay, did we, right? Like the context, all that stuff. And, and I provide that, that information. So it's just a matter of seeing if we fall in what we, what we expected. Um, I can give another example was two days before a match, we used to have what I guess I would just call it for the sake of calling it our speed day, max speed day. And on that day, we don't want too many accelerations and decelerations. So we do want though bursts of, of speed. And I would look to make sure that on the report, when we, when I would look at every player's accelerations, decelerations, that it wasn't, you know, uh, 10 accelerations, 10 decelerations. Maybe I would prefer to see 12 accelerations and three decelerations. So, you know, so that, those are the types of things that I would kind of look for it. And that all trickles back to just how we train coaches idea, our periodization, um, 
So I want to make sure that we're all, all aligned. And so with the acceleration, deceleration, are you also kind of considering concentric focused lifts versus eccentric loading? Or does it come into play with that or am I yeah. kind of off, off case? Honestly, a little bit, not too much. And I feel like that right there is probably like, oh, maybe he's not paying too much attention to it or, or, or whatnot. But I haven't quite exactly, I mean, I feel like I do that and it goes in and out depending on, on phases and whatnot. But I think like earlier again to that, to that day, it's okay, maybe I'm doing a, on that day, a Kaiser adduction and maybe it's, I don't know, eccentric or, or whatnot. It depends on how I want to progress or where we start and, and all these things throughout the season. So specifically going concentric, eccentric, that's maybe not my first thought. Maybe I get to there. I just, I honestly, like I've, like I've just been repeating and probably will repeat throughout the rest of the, our time is I just try to build back from, from the match. I honestly think too, to critique myself, um, that's something where maybe I should just do a little bit better on and just, uh, be able to to even further that connection with a bit more of that of that background of that that type of mentality yeah no no it's great to have your own kind of um spreadsheet to look at what you're really doing well and what could be improved i mean that's just a sign of an excellent coach who makes up your support group like you're you're part of a coaching core for the revolutions too who else is there? I mean, not necessarily by name, but positionally, like you've got a head coach, an assistant coach. Do you have athletic trainer, physical therapist, uh, mental skills coach? Who, who's yeah. there with you? So within the second team, it's it's head coach, assistant coach, goalkeeper coach, um, who also has more roles aside from just being a goalkeeper coach and, and helping out our other coaches with like set pieces and things like that. Our athletic trainer um, my and myself, that's honestly, excuse me, that's that's only the staff there. Obviously, we have team administrator, equipment uh, manager, and all that. But within like that staff, it's it's just us. So uh, that's that's the reason why obviously there's the Swiss Army knife aspect of things, and we all try to pitch in and do the best we can. Is because obviously at the end of the day, we're here, we're there for the for the players. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Which is obviously a big difference, you know, between us and in a first team, for example, where. In the first team, you have your director, who would be my boss, a first team performance coach, and a sports scientist. So you have three who can all, you know, pitch in and 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 do things. Um, so yeah. So with you as a Swiss Army knife, when you pull out all these different blades and gadgets, what what is in your Swiss Army knife? Like, what are the different what are the different roles? The different positions that you find yourself playing you've alluded to a few of them but i'm just wondering what are the ones that you really enjoy what are the ones that you feel like um i i need to do maybe it's not as enjoyable but i know it's a must and what are the things that you're like oh i i should pull this out more often i need to look into it yeah i think what comes to mind would be snc in the gym coach in in the sense of soccer coach when you're on on the field and then data scientist or sports scientist. Those would be like the three main pillars for me. Um, which one I, I would say I enjoy the most is I love being on the field. For me, being on the grass with the ball or sometimes without the ball, but just being around the players and trying to understand the players, that is my favorite part of my job. Um, I work with players that are, 
range in age last year was 15 years old to 27 years old. So I work with people that were older than me, which makes for, which is always, always a joke. Uh, it's always a <laughs> little bit of banter as you can imagine. And that's my, that is my favorite by far. I would then say that it's the gym. I, I enjoy the gym now differently. Um, because again, I'm, I'm trying to do it in a different way and challenge myself by trying to connect it more so to the pitch. And then, and then I would say, if, obviously, if there were three things and third place would come that sports science data side, but it's also the side where I need the most improvement on. And I've been fortunate that, you know, we have some guys on, on the first team staff that are really good at that. And I've been exposed to it. So it's about me, you know, picking their brain and seeing what, what I can learn from them and, and then trying to take that back into, into my own world. That's not to say that Jim, I'm the best or on the pitch, I'm the best. I have to learn everywhere. And I'm not just saying that to sound all good that I'm trying to grow and develop, but I've just realized like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, and you realize you have to learn even more. And um, there are some really top people in each of those fields, SNC on the pitch, data scientists. And if I want to continue progressing, um, I have to improve in all those areas. So um, that's sort of, those are sort of my Swiss army knives there and, and how I feel about them. Beautiful. So when it comes to SNC in the gym, you mentioned frontal plane motion, you've mentioned a Kaiser adductor. So there is, there is, it seems, a, and from what I'm gathering, uh, a non-traditional programming that is not necessarily just strictly sagittal plane, bilateral bias movements. What are kind of, what are some of the staples in your SNC program when it comes to resistance training for your players? Yeah, for me, I think the biggest one would be a lot of unilateral work. Um, I think that's just... That's Why? Just the, oh, well, I mean, I think first off, I was introduced to it, right? Growing up and, and being in the in the Boyle world, I think obviously every step we take is on, is on one leg. And um, I try to just sort of to build programs off of that and, and expose players. Obviously, Obviously, you know, when we deal with athletes and deal with players, there's a lot of that ego. They want to lift the biggest amount of weight and then they get humbled when they have to do a single leg squat to a bench and they're like, oh, my God, and their knees caving in and all that stuff. So I, I, I view I very much follow that sort of, you know, I've just been exposed to the boil method for so long. Just that um, functional way of training and unilateral work has been just a staple. So um, I feel like that for me is definitely something that I have in all my programs. Um and I always try to do things. I, I don't do any split, like, you know, an upper body day or a lower body day. I always try to incorporate a little bit of everything. So, um, you know, full body, I think it's also beneficial from a time standpoint. We don't get too much time in the gym. We have to deal with working around the first team. You have those other factors. And it's like, I rather get the guys get in, try to get most bang for their buck possible and then, and then move out, um, from there. So, um, so yeah, that's, that'd be just like a, a snippet of one or two of the things that, that we've done. That's beautiful. Mike will be proud when he hears this, <laughs> you know, yeah. that. Yeah, his disciple. We, yeah, we had a good conversation when I had him on the podcast about unilateral training and, and, and just what comes along with it. So for me too, like talking about rehab, return to play or performance, that's going to be a key indicator right there. Of, mm. of muscular imbalances between left and right you know yeah. it, there's always going to be asymmetries it's not like we're ever going to be perfectly balanced but the the way in which 
the joint mechanics are going to, or kinematic sequencing, however you want to call it, on the right side versus the left side is something that's going to be probably indicative of the likelihood of injury. So when you get your players that are in stage rehab into the return to play phase, what's what's your primary focus with that when it comes to, to say, S&C with them? Yeah, so I mean, first we we laid out within the performance department like the different testing we wanted to do. So, you know, we had uh, hamstring iso, Nordic fall. We'd have our counter movement jump. So we uh, adductor squeeze. So we have these baseline, you know, strength measures that um, those protocols were set in place by the first team, and that's where I sort of just say, this is what you guys do. All right, we try to trickle down so that um, obviously a big part of the second team is we want to have some sort of comparison to the first team in case first team says, Hey, we want this guy. Let's compare him. See where he's at. Um, to answer your question. So the end stage part from the gym, I guess it goes to retesting. It's seeing, all right, where were the guys at before? Uh, and then, you know, all right, is he healthy enough to test now? Yes. Okay. Let's test, see the value, see where he's at in comparison, and then try to work from there. There's a protocol that the, the first team had, had established that, you know, as a second team, it's our job to to follow. So um, a lot of the early part is dealt with from the athletic training side and and given our our roles, where we're located, the staff and all that, um, sometimes, you know, they'll work out with us, with the team. I get to see a little bit, but obviously we have just myself, the athletic trainer, uh, eyeing X amount of players. So sometimes it's a little difficult, but um but yeah, on the SNC side, it's that it's it's see where the guys are at, see where their deficiencies are, try to try to get them back a bit healthier, and then once they can start on the field, it's it's give them exposures and work from backwards from their data that we gather throughout a season, um, and then try to slowly integrate them. I mean, you know the return to play process. So slowly uh, integrate them back into into training as um, as steadily or as you know as safe as possible. How well do you think that works? Is there something missing? And I don't want to throw your, your, you know, your opinion matters, but I don't want to put you in trouble with any higher ups. But is there something that you feel like, ah, you know, I've been scratching my head about this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I, I would. I, yeah, I think, yes, there is something. And in my mind, it's, again, it's, it's, it's important to understand the context, but sometimes with the, I had players, for, I'll give you the example. I had players this year um, that, you know, we did the, the testing and they did have some imbalances, uh, maybe in a percentage that was a bit higher than that normal, than a threshold that you wanted to see. So I would make subtle tweaks to the whole gym program per se, but I wouldn't necessarily tailor something super individually, let's say, because I also kept in mind that, okay, this person maybe has a bit of a, a bigger hamstring asymmetry, but he's played every minute of every game, or he's hit his 90% plus, or he's done this and he's had no issues. So, and then he goes the whole season, never getting injured, which is what, which is what happened. We had players like we only had truly, I think two soft tissue injuries the entire season, which was, wow. That's, that's the goal. I mean, I think we say, wow, but our goal is to have healthy players, right? So in a sense, it should kind of be our expectation to have the least amount of injuries possible. But yes, I was also like, wow, you know, it's, it's amazing. So I see that, and, and those guys had no problems. Obviously, there's the sore, and, and you get banged up throughout the season, but there was no, there were only two really main injuries. And guys had these asymmetries here and there. And yes, there was work done. Let's say there was, a, I added a bit more long lever hamstring work for the guys, for everyone, but they didn't get hurt. So I was like, almost like, okay, how, 
the data is important, but how important? And I, and I don't want to quit, you know, I, I don't know if that's somewhat of a controversial thing. I know within our department, I sometimes ask questions and, and maybe they're a bit more like, it may be controversial, but that just piqued my interest, you know, like. Yeah, no, I get know? it because it's like, you know, when we're talking about data that we can extrapolate from any wearable tech, it's like an encyclopedia or a dictionary. There's all the information is between the covers. However, if you don't know how to really extract the, the info that you really need, you're not going to understand it to the point mm -hmm. where you need to understand it. And I think we're pretty new. We're pretty young when it comes to understanding what data is really essential at what period of time in the season or off season or wherever the case, and how does it apply from one individual to another and how can that vary? I think we've got a lot of learning to do. And I, I, I know it's great to have GPS information, uh, but it's, it doesn't tell us everything. It gives us a shotgun blast without the ability to have a sniper scope to really home in on, on the, the issues in the individual athletes. And, and I see that's kind of what you're alluding to. It's like, it's, it's great to have this information. It'll give us a trend, but it's not the end all be all. We actually have to use right, almost like instinct, all the information that we've already accumulated that our brain is, is trying to formulate consciously, but maybe we just have to go with what we have a good sense of and what these players need. You know what I mean? I think that's absolutely spot on. I think there's so we can try to rationalize everything, but there's so much, this goes even outside of the game, right? Just in life that, we can't explain that we can't put a number on that is something that's feeling or emotion and we can try to capture it, but sometimes we do have to say, let's just, it, I feel like most things are kind of best guesses. You know, I mean, we don't truly know. We can't be 100% certain about a lot of things. So uh, again, we can try, but what you just said, I, I think is exactly how, how I feel is like, there's not always an answer. So all right, let's take this context and, and go for it and see what happens because there's something that may happen with you that may not happen with me and that can't be calculated for. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of my, my take on it. I think you were spot on. Yeah, and I also, just to kind of carry it even further because it's going to lead me into my next question, which is you know, there's the mental emotional component that doesn't get uh, recorded with GPS or sports. Well, it's in sports science, but it's very hard to extrapolate objective information from that that field of mental and emotional uh, conditioning or wellness within each athlete. We don't know that this player has been having a hard time with a relationship and he's now at match day and suddenly his mind isn't in the game. So it's going to show something completely different when we're looking at the physical realm or, you know, the spiritual component. These are areas within that we're just starting to tap into. We're starting to talk about the, the mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical combination that can't be disconnected from the player. So, so it brings in the mental skills, which is becoming more and more of an important aspect in all over team conditioning and performance. So you being the Swiss army knife, when it comes to mental skills, you've, you've given me a little taste of it with your warmups by saying, I want to make it fun. These guys have to laugh and they, they want to just play because it's a game. How do you continue to improve upon their mental health while they're conditioning their physical body? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. I think first off, I know in our first team, we, 
we have those types of resources. And I think if a player really needs it in the second team, they're able to tap into that as well. Um, maybe I always feel what I really love about my role, as I alluded to earlier, is are the relationships that I'm able to form with, with the players that I work with. I think I'm in a very fortunate position where I don't have to make the decisions of who plays and, and who's on the bench. So, and I'm also younger. So I feel, and I worked with some of the guys earlier in the academy. So we actually grew up professionally together. So I think that's one of the roles outside of connecting it to the physical realm. I try to do my best and, and I believe I do sometimes a decent job, but trying to relate to all the players and, and, and be somewhat of a reference, because to your point, I know that if someone's got a problem with the, I've seen it this past season, someone, some player had was going through like some sort of relationship issue. And, and I noticed just in the gym, he's normally bubbly that day he came in and he was just like, Hey, what do we got today? And then I pull him aside, what's going on today? And I don't know if I can help, but I'm at least able to maybe, you know, understand we've all had that type of problem before. So, you know, I can maybe connect to, to them. Uh, so for me, not that I am by, you know, helping them specifically in, in that, in that role, but I try to be, because I understand that that's going to impact them on, on the pitch. I think if everyone's in a better mental state, then that physical side is a lot easier to achieve. You're bought in, you're ready to go. You give more of an effort and, and it's super, super important. And to your point, it's often overlooked. And unfortunately it's, it's tough to really, tough to really grasp. So I think just being a good person, whatever that definition is to you, trying to relate to your players, view them as human beings first, not just, you know, in sport, it's often the players are like the commodity, right? So viewing them as the, as the human being first, I think is, is super important. Something that I try, I try to do in my role. Right on. And what are the things that get you up in the morning? For me to go to my job, I was actually recently asked this as well. I really enjoy collective success. I love working in a group. Um, I, I have not a tough time, but I prefer to do everything with other people. I love interactions, relationships, uh, energy, feelings, vibes, community, and connection. Those words are the first thing that come to mind as maybe not core values per se, but just stuff that gets me going. So when I'm part of a team, for example, the coaching staff I was a part of last year, it was amazing. Like we all just knew like, Hey, this is what we're doing tomorrow. Bang. I do my role. I ask questions. I get help here. I may help here. Then we're able to talk about life outside for me, that collective feeling and achieving success collectively is what gets me going. And we were able to do that last year. We made it um, to the playoffs for the first time in the history of revs two. We lost eventually in the Eastern conference final, but it was just, it was just like it, when the collective is there, you can feel it. You maybe can't put a finger on it, something you can't measure, but we had it. And and knowing that I had a role, not like it was the bigger role than so-and-so, but a role that was like, got me going to work every day. And and that's what really gets me going. And I hope to, to experience that again. And when it comes to the Revolutions organization, uh, it's often the case that when you're, you're, you've got players at the academy level, they've got so much more potential and, and room in order to reach their peak performance compared to first team. First team players are pretty much at peak performance and your role there is to try to keep them there and maybe get another percent or two out of them in, mm -hmm. in the, the best way possible. So from, from your position as a performance coach, 
which way do you want to head if there is a direction that if you were given an opportunity to, hey, Pablo, we want you to come up to first team or Pablo, you know, we want you to to do what you're doing. But at the academy, I know you'd say yes to everything because that's probably what I'm gathering from your answers. But is there a direction that you find more alluring? I, I mean, that's. I think to what yeah what you said I, I would be interested in, in doing both I, I truly I truly believe though that even at that highest level like yes that they may be only one percent but for them that's such a big improvement like I, I I'm really interested in working with with some of the best and I think now even age is not even a thing we have some players in the revs too that are going with the first team now that are 16 17 years old and they're going to be at that level. And if they were there and I was there with them, they'd still have to make a huge jump, not just physically, but tactically, technically and everything. So I think maybe I would obviously just in terms of general career progression would obviously want to be more involved with the first team because I, I, I think the taste of working in that high level environment is really exciting to me. And, and just because also players are there, there's not that everyone knows it all, right? So you can still expose them to something brand new and they can learn something as a 30-year-old veteran. Now, is, are they open to it? That depends on the individual, but I feel like you can still do that. So I don't know. I did the academy and, and I really enjoyed it. I think they, everyone's like a sponge down there, right? They have a high soccer training age, but not so much in the gym. And if they have a training age in the gym, it's right. It's low or it's maybe they are, you know, in high school and they want to do bicep curls and pushups and, and bench, maybe not something specific to the, I was like that too. So I, I get it. Um, so try to maybe educate them to lay the foundations and for them to develop the autonomy in the gym to really, you know, grow into the player and the person that they can be. I'm not sure if that. And when it comes it. to your, no, no, it does. It totally does. Uh, and you bring up some other kind of questions for me, like the international players, they have a typically a, a little different culture and a different way of proceeding in the weight room and doing conditioning how how do you deal with the different cultures that are in your melting pot of a team yeah so i think fortunately that's another aspect that that i would say that i'm i'm fortunate to have obviously i, I come from that multicultural background so i think that i speak spanish uh, i know a little bit of italian but i've worked with a bunch of brazilian players in our revs to environment and it's similar to spanish so I kind of have a little bit of Portuguese there. I would claim I speak it decently well. And I think the Brazilians would agree. I get my message across. So that's the most important thing. So yes, there are different cultures, right? Your, your South American players like to lift a bit differently. One thing I noticed in the Revs 2 environment is that there's a there was always a tremendous respect the players had towards me. So even if they did things differently, if I laid this out, they believe, which is true, that I have their best interests in mind and I'm having them do this because I want, I think this is going to best help them to perform every training day. And on the weekend, if a player has something that they like, I am my style of coaching and the way I operate in my opinion. And, and what I've heard is I'm not going to be dictatorship at all. I say, Oh, you like this. Okay. Let's, let's try to mix it in because again, mentally, if the player feels good doing these things, it relates to they're going to feel better performing. So who am I to cut what they want? I think I would sometimes do translation and help out with some of the Spanish speaking guys on the first team. And they say, Hey, I want to do this. And it's not on the menu for, for what the first team has to do. And they say, well, okay. And we try to find a compromise because if that's one of our star players, I want to make sure he feels that he's like 
He's I want to do the trap bar deadlift and this before training because I feel more explosive and better on the pitch. Whereas, whereas for the team, it's put after. Well, that guy's going to do it before because he wants to. So he may do that and one other exercise. Then he warms up and he's flying on the pitch. He feels great. Perfect. No problem. So I think it's just all about adapting, trying to understand people. And I think I'm fortunate where I also am able to understand different cultures, just given my my uh, my upbringing and, and my and my household, you know, my background. And there's there's other aspects that you kind of suggest or, or alluded to off the air when we were having our conversation a couple of days ago, where you bring something that's different than, say, traditional SNC or performance coaches. What is that? Yeah, that goes back to, to what I was speaking about earlier about it's that training methodology that I was exposed to. And it's I try I try to make it I try to make it as much football as possible. And I really started working with these ideas. And again, it comes from the coaching staff. So it's like I have to thank those guys because they were able to influence me. And I try to take those ideas, take it into my context and, and go from there. I try to make it as 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 specific as possible because that's what that's our role that's what our role is i i don't think it's you know in our world um i i heard this when i was younger at boils where it's like oh the soccer guys always think their sport is different and i used to be like yeah you know sorry we always think that and uh and i you know now that i've been involved i'm like i almost kind of want to agree and be that annoying guy who thinks soccer is a little different um because our game is so unique and, and, and the intricacies of how we do things is like so different compared to other sports. First off, we play with our feet. So, um, so yeah, it, it goes back to that, that methodology and then, and then take trying to combine that with everything I've been exposed to, you know, outside of just the world of football. So. And where do you go to acquire outside of, of the team environment? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like to ask people like, what book are you reading right now? That's kind of a, that's a cheesy cop-out question for anybody yeah, yeah. asking questions, but like where, what are you interested in these days when it comes to your role? What are you looking toward to gain more insight? Um, I think first off, I, this is, this is Friday. This is like uh, when it comes to warmups and a lot of uh, soccer specific things, I actually use some sometimes social media as like a great example. I, I have people that just, you know, you'll see clips on YouTube from a top German team that does this specific warm up, and it's like, oh, okay, let me take information from that. Um, I mean, there are other resources that I use. I, I use a lot of like, you know, I wanted to dive a little bit more into like the anatomy side because I think there's a lot of stuff basic level that I honestly don't really have the best understanding of. So I try to go through. I was reading a little bit like the functional anatomy book that we were discussing earlier from Kevin Carr and the people at movement is medicine. Um, there may be some guy that I see on Instagram, like a David gray that I've seen, or, or, you know, James Collins put me onto some other person. So that's where I kind of, I just branch out. I feel like we're just so everything's so like easily accessible now that um, we can find those things, you know, everywhere, especially with, you know, obviously the internet and everything like that. So um, that's sort of where, where I'm at now, but my biggest, my biggest and best resource has been the people that I've worked with and, and those people, they expose me to things that I may not have even looked for, even thought to have looked for. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful and appreciative of, of those that I've worked with. So. Right on. And, uh, where do you, this is like a job interview question now, I <laughs> yes. guess, 
Well, but where where does Pablo Di Benedetto see himself in three years? In three years, let's see. Three years, I'll be 29 years old. Um, terrified of turning 30 because everyone tells me that at 30, everything, <laughs> everyone puts 30 years old as like the end of your life. So I, let's see how I feel. <laughs> let's see how I feel about life. Right oh, be, so I'm living in the afterlife then. That's yeah, what it is. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, uh, so that's the first thing. Um, of course, I think within three years, it's it's to be at a first team level and it's to be working with some of the best players. I, I see myself. You know, I don't know where opportunities will arise, but um, if it's definitely here in, in the United States, which makes the most sense for me, um, working with the best players in the league, the best players and the best coaches and just being exposed to a higher level. Um, I, I've i been fortunate to work also for, you know, is a director's role. That's probably a bit on the early side, but that's what you aspire to be, right? First team, eventually director of performance. Will you get? Will I get there in three years? Who knows? I don't know. But to at least be in that first team environment and be working with great people like I've already have, that would definitely be, you know, what I what I strive for. Nice. And hopefully staying close to home if possible with New England. Yeah. That would be amazing. Okay. Yeah. And one of my last questions before I ask how people can follow you with social media and everything would be your mom's from Santiago, Chile, and yeah. and your dad's Italian. What I'm just drooling thinking of the food you grew up with, brother. Like what when you go home and and Mama San there, she's she's cooking up a meal. What is it that you're hoping to walk in on? What is your what's your favorite home cooked meal? Well, so I I can go first off on my father's side. I think the goat and the Italian side, and we bring this to every like party or anytime we host something. This is our go to. But your classic of like prosciutto, mozzarella, tomato, basil, little sandwich, that I could eat probably every day. Um, and if I want to throw like a chicken cutlet in there, that'd be like, that's like my perfect, perfect sandwich. And and that is always kind of around, like my dad may just come home randomly with just like a bucket of mozzarella, a pound of prosciutto, and just like some scally bread and, and there we go. Like, just it's normal. It's like, hey, and then it, we don't even like question it. We just start down, we talk about our day, we just start eating. Like, that's just how it goes. On my mother's side, I've been fortunate that my grandparents have lived with us. Obviously, I'm living in Boston now, but when I was at home, um, my grandparents lived with us. So it was actually my grandmother, Abuelita, who who did all the cooking. And, oh, man, like, where could I start? I mean, I have the classic empanadas that my grandmother makes, oh. which are just, they're unique. She always used to make, like, special ones for me that she, like, put on the side with, like, a little toothpick in it. Like, these are Pablitos, and these go here. Uh, but my favorite dish my grandmother prepared um, – she would make obviously white rice, but she had some sort of like spice or seasoning to it that's just unique that I can't really find anywhere and I won't even bother trying to make myself. But she, this is not like a, a, a Latin dish per se, but she would make this like orange salmon. And I was like this orange, like orange Ooh. juice. In it, and they're like, oh my God, that was the best. So, so yeah, food in my house was like, I miss it now living on my own. It's like, wow, I really wish <laughs> I, could, I really wish I could get some of that home home cooking, but it's, it's hard to come by. Let me tell you. And is Abelita still around? Yes. Yeah, so, so my grandmother, yes, my, my, my grandfather is not, but my grandmother is now in Florida right now. Obviously uh, we have family that lives in, in Orlando. So Abelita lives there cause it's, it's just too cold over here. <laughs> and, and uh, okay. So when- this, this message is for Abelita. Cause I know you're going to be listening to Ablito here. He's, <laughs> he's coming to Florida really soon. And when he gets to Florida, you know what you have to do now. 
You yeah, know what you need to make for this boy. She knows. She already knows. I, I'll call her, let's say, if like, I'm like, how is I'm coming home? She's like, would you like me to make anything? I'm like, oh, my God. Like, oh. this? Yes, okay. Boom. Perfect. Oh, that sounds great. Man, Pablo, this has been fabulous. I really appreciate your time. You give me so much to chew on, and 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 you give me so much um, just, just goodness for my soul when I hear the things that you're doing back in the Northeast there. If people want to just follow your your passions, how do they do it on like Instagram and LinkedIn? You're too young for Facebook, so I'm not even going to ask about that. But how are they going to kind of follow you aside from going to the homepage for the reps? Yeah, so for me, I, I am on LinkedIn, obviously, Pablo Di Benedetto, and, and I have my, my profile picture there with, with the revs. Um, I am on Instagram as well, and it's just my name. Like, I don't even think I have a period or anything in between, just Pablo Di Benedetto. If I'm, if I'm honest, I actually don't have, like, a specific page where I'm posting a lot of my rev stuff. That's still, like, my personal Instagram, but I've thought about it for this upcoming season to either use that and show a bit more of the work I've done or... Um, or just make a separate one entirely. So I think the best bet like professionally would be to just be on, on LinkedIn. And I do have Facebook, believe it or not, but there's really no point <laughs> in doing anything. <laughs> it's just like, there's nothing going on there. It's just, it's just reposting whatever goes on Instagram and other places. So, um, right so on. For me, well, for I'm going to put out a request to you to actually do put some content out there for what you're doing with the revolution, because a whole bunch of youth soccer teams could benefit from what you're doing with the second team there. And there's a whole bunch of coaches that could use some advice. And, and I know that they're going to social media, most of them to get it. So it'd be great if you put that on there uh, again, you know, Pablo, this has been great. I, I look forward to watching the, the upcoming season and seeing how you guys do. And uh, hopefully our paths will cross really soon, but thank you again for your time and being on Zealous. No, thank you. This was, this was fantastic. First experience for me and, and I love it. So I really appreciate you providing this platform. Thank you. That's it for Zealous this week. Thank you, Pablo and the Rev for allowing this to happen. Remember, I will be in the Boston area January 27th, 28th at Physio X, giving a continuing education workshop all about closed chain biomechanics and foot wedges. And then if you happen to be near the West Coast the following weekend, the third and fourth, I'll be at RFC in Capitola doing the same thing. You can check it out on rockysnyder.com. Hey, if you haven't uh, checked out my book recently, Return to Center, it might be something you could uh, cure your insomnia with. Let's just say that. And so again, follow us on Instagram, at Rocky underscore Snyder, and click that subscribe button. We'll see you next week.